this day. We thank you, God, for your grace. Father, for your mercies that are new every day, your compassions that never fail. And Lord, as we turn to your word, we ask, Father, that you would put aside my thoughts. Father, that you might speak through me, giving me strength and clarity of thought. We thank you so much for your word. Lord, use it to impact our hearts. May we, Father, be open to you and your word. In Christ's name, amen. Well, I grew up, as most of you know, in Alabama, in an unchurched home. And to be honest with you, I often heard the church is full of hypocrites. And sadly, there were some around there that were. I would go to Sunday school on my own usually. Sometimes a sibling would go with me. But I never heard positive things about pastors. I never heard positive things about church or the people who attend, especially from my father. Sometimes, though, I would still go to vacation Bible school. And one summer I went to three, three different vacation Bible schools. I went to a Southern Baptist um, Church's Bible school. I went to an independent uh, Baptist um, Bible school. I went to my church. I grew up in a United Methodist church. And they were all very different. So very, very different. So I was exposed to church and to... God's Word in different ways. Later in my life, as an adult, when I understood the Gospel, when I repented of my sins, and I turned to Jesus Christ for forgiveness of my sins. When I was ready to do that, I didn't go to my home church. I didn't go to the Southern Baptist Church. I went to this independent Baptist church called Central Baptist. And looking back, I think culturally, it's probably the last church that I should have gone to culturally. Because, again, remember, I was in Alabama, and the pastor of Central Baptist was a Yankee. And Yankees aren't thought of very well in that part of Alabama. And to make it even worse, the pastor was married to another foreigner from England. Secondly, Central Baptist was a church that had a lot of wealthy people, some millionaires, and sometimes it was called the rich man's church. My family was poor, and I sure didn't connect with that. Again, Central Baptist was independent. It was not Southern Baptist. It was independent. Independent churches weren't trusted too much down there. Down there you had United Methodist, Southern Baptist, Pentecostal Church here and there, Presbyterian, but not independent. And again, my parents would tell me, Ralph, go to vacation Bible school at Central Baptist, but you know what? Don't believe what they tell you. Enjoy yourself. But their theology is wrong. So why did I go there? Why did I go to that church when at age 25 
I need these spiritual counselors. Why did I go there? Because culturally, it was the wrong place to go. Wrong place to go. I went there because I remembered over the years that the people there were different. They were different. I knew that as a kid they cared. They loved me. They, they loved all us kids. And they expressed it in different ways. Their lives were different from other people. Somehow or another, there was such a warmth and a love and they were godly. They were godly people. That's what it was. You know, looking back, the gospel at Central Baptist was attractive. The church was healthy. The doctrine was sound. The lives of everyone, from the young men and young women to the older men and older women, were characterized and reflected the grace and the love of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so that's why, at age 25, I went back to this Yankee and talked with him. And he led me to Christ. Well, last week we were looking at Titus chapter 1. Today we're in Titus chapter 2. And if you remember last week, we talked about the church in Crete and the difficulties they faced. These false teachers who were hypocrites, who were deceptive, who were liars, who had base wrong motivation. The church faced a tough situation. And Titus and the church wanted to reach people for Christ. And of course, Paul, as he wrote the book of Titus, was concerned. And he tells Titus that he must teach sound doctrine so that the church will be attractive. And since this passage has already been read, I won't read it again. I want us to, to, to look at, at verse 1. Now, I think I've entitled this, What Sound Doctrine Looks Like. Maybe I should have called it, How to Look Attractive. How to Look Attractive. Titus 2.1. But as for you, teach what accords with sound doctrine. As for you, teach what accords with sound doctrine. Well, after dealing with the, the false prophets in the previous passage, Paul now instructs Titus how to teach the different groups within. Again, his goal was that their character and their conduct might reflect Christ. And the cause of Jesus Christ might go forward in the community. Paul had identified the negative traits. Remember last week I mentioned it wasn't a very pretty picture of who they were. And then he says to Titus, almost like, Titus, you, you, Titus, even though everybody else is teaching false doctrine for base motives, Titus, you teach what's in accord with sound doctrine. It says you must teach the truth. In sound doctrine, literally means healthy doctrine. It's actually, this word is actually used in the Gospels in several places for someone who's been healed. Maybe they had uh, a physical defect or a disability. I think of 
of the woman who suffered the internal bleeding in Mark. She was healed and made whole. Or the invalid at the pool in Bethesda was healed. Sound doctrine is used throughout the pastoral epistles, but it's not focused on the content of the doctrine, but on the resulting behavior of the people. Sound doctrine, remember, leads to godly living. Sound doctrine leads to godly living. When Paul says, Titus must teach what accords with sound doctrine, he's talking about practical instruction. How do you live today? How do I live with small kids in my household? When I can't sleep at night, and when I have a million things to do, how, the young mother, do I do it? Or maybe as a father dealing with struggles at work or in the neighborhood, how, how do I live a godly life? Again, practical instructions, personal conduct, because all believers' faith should reflect Jesus Christ in their walk. Sometimes I think our churches in the United States are so prone toward the consumer mentality. If it's not good for us right now, we don't get involved. If it doesn't cost me too much, then I get involved. And I think we miss out a lot on interacting with each other. Too often we fail to think about the impact that our lives have or can have on each other. It was clear that Paul believes that the Christian should be engaged in the world and that our lives as believers should have credibility. We should be credible in our lives. We want to reach people. And also we should be involved in the world, not just interacting at church, but being involved in the world. God didn't design Christians to live or walk alone, to walk alone, but to be with each other. And in this passage, we'll, as we're looking, we've already heard, he instructs Titus to teach different groups. First the older men, and then the younger, I'm sorry, the older men, and then the older women, and then the younger women, and then the young men, and then finally slaves. Notice men and women, he didn't say old men, or Old women, but older. Well, let's look first then in verse 2. It says, as he gives instructions for older men, older men ought to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith, in love, and in steadfastness. The exhortations that Paul gives for Titus to give to the older men is really can be summed up in, in, in two things. One, be dignified. To be dignified and to be mature. How many of us have seen older men running around trying to be young? Paul says to Titus, instruct him to be dignified. He says, older men, there should be a kind of a seriousness, and Pastor Chuck was joking about being serious. There are times to be serious, there are times to be um, 
less serious, lighthearted. But I think the, the mindset here was there's that, that youthfulness sometimes that older men should not have. There should be a seriousness about them. They should be free of overindulgence. They should be free of immorality. They, be, they should be free of foolish behavior. And secondly, older men in the church should be mature. They should be sound in their faith. They should be sound in their love and steadfastness. In all aspects of our, of our lives, older men should be mature. Sound in our faith. That's that vertical relationship with God. Loving Him. Secondly, love. Steadfast. Sound in love. Loving each other. Serving each other. And thirdly, that steadfastness, that, that persistence, that perseverance in walking with God, even as we grow older, our health not being what it might be, uh, what we thought it might be, um, sticking with it. Older men then are to be models of dignity and responsibility and wisdom. Excuse me, I'm biting my cold this morning. When I think of older men, I think of John Wesley, who lived in the 1700s. He rode over 250,000 miles on horse preaching. He preached over 40,000 sermons. He wrote around 200 books. And at age 83, he regretted that he was unable to read and write for more than 15 hours each day because of his eyes. He regretted he couldn't write more than 15 hours. 15! At age 83. At age 86, he admitted to a tendency to lie in bed to 5.30 in the morning. 5.30. Well, as we mature, may our hearts be steadfast on walking with God, on loving people, living for Him. Paul then moves from the older men in the church to the older women. And he says in verse 3, Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in behavior, not slanders or slaves to too much wine. They're to teach what is good. Older women are to be reverent. Just reverent in the way they live. It literally means befitting a holy person or as a priestess. Not that women were priests, priestess, but it's that whole mindset of living in such a way that we're walking in the presence of God. We're trusting Him. We're looking to Him minute by minute. That, that sense of God is present. Reverence. Think of the lady Anna in Luke 2 who waited as a widow for, for Jesus Christ and how she, after her husband had died, she stayed there at the, the temple and she, she, she prayed and she fasted and she, she talked and she waited for a day when Christ was, was presented. That's the way 
that God wants our older women to be. Secondly, it says for the older women to avoid drunkenness and slanderous speech. And back then, in that culture in Crete, there was that mindset towards slander and, and drinking too much. And, and Paul tells Titus to teach them to not do that. Teach them not to do that. They're not to be backbiters or scandal mongers. They're not to be drunkards. And third, instead of using their mouths to slander, they're to use them positively to teach the younger women how to live. Verse 4 says, they're to teach what is good. And that indicates an informal style of teaching. It doesn't mean that, that older women and younger women, or for that matter, older men and younger men, can't have Bible studies and, and go over God's Word. We can. But, but the sense here is, is the younger women learn about loving their husband, about caring for the kids and loving them, about being a good neighbor through observing. There's that training, there's that teaching that goes on with our lives. Because we don't learn simply by looking in the book. How many people have read a book on swimming and went immediately and hopped in the pool and could swim? No one. You see, we learn to walk with God as we interact with other Christians, with other believers. But I truly believe that this is a resource that we have at Good News that, that we don't use to its fullest potential. And Pastor Eric and I have talked and the elders have talked and we really believe that, that our society as a whole has bought into this idea that, that older people have had their day of usefulness and ought to make way for the younger people. Sometimes it creeps into our church. Not, not purposely. And we really want to change that. We really want to see our younger women and older women interact together. It's just natural. It's natural for us to interact with people that we know. I went into a training room one time and I watched and I just observed. And all the young ladies were together in a group. You know, here at another table was a group of Older ladies together. It doesn't mean they don't interact together, but it's easy for me to go to somebody that I know. It might be that person that's my same age. I think we miss out on each side when we don't interact, when our lives don't interweave together. I think sometimes maybe that younger women as they go through parenting with children or just go through life, sometimes there are these things that, that we face they're, they're coming no matter what. Who better to go to than someone who's gone through it? Someone who's gained wisdom from the experience. Oh, I remember only been a couple of years ago that Chris and I had our first son. Exactly, he was 22 now. I remember taking him home, and I, and I remember putting him in our small Toyota, 
And I remember Chris looking at me and saying, Ralph, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? I said, we're going to raise them. We're going to raise them and teach them about God. You know what? We had a family. Our families are in Louisiana and Alabama as far as blood relatives. But you know what? We had a family here. And boy, that phone worked. We called people. We called people. Sometimes I thought maybe we were spoiling Zachary or Jared. And, and um, I'd call Margie or somebody and they'd say, you're not spoiling him. I don't know, Jared, did we spoil you? See, we need each other. We need each other. Today, after worship, the men's ministries and women's ministries would have tables set up downstairs. And we want to begin something where if you, as an older person, want to disciple someone younger, you can sign up. If you're a younger person and want to be discipled by someone, go sign up. If you have questions, go down there and just talk, interact. Because we're committed. Because we really believe very strongly that God's word is clear that older women are to teach younger women how to live. How to live godly lives. Let's look at that passage that that moves from the older women to the instructing the younger women. It says, They are to teach what is good, and so train the young women to love their husbands and children, and to be, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind, submissive to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be reviled. Paul instructs first the older men. Then he instructs the young, the older women. And later on he instructs the young men. But he doesn't instruct the young women. Again, he instructs the older women to teach them. It could be because he's aware that as a single, young single man, that there would be a problem if he was involved in teaching them. But maybe, just maybe, Paul wanted Titus to make sure that the husbands were the spiritual teachers in the home. Younger women here, for those who were single, because of the culture then, mostly people were, were married. And so we don't say a lot of that domestic thing. But there's still things... For, for younger ladies um, that, that aren't married. which says that, that the older women are to teach the younger women how they should love their husbands and children. Isn't that interesting that God wants older women to teach the younger women how to love? How to love their husband? How to love their kids? It, doesn't that come naturally? It doesn't, does it? There's a love that goes beyond that. Typical love that we think about. And this love is a foundation for marriage. It's, it's not that emotional 
of that romantic love we talk about. And even more so, it's not that erotic love that we see in, on TV and in movies, but it's that love of sacrifice and giving that the older women are to teach the younger women. The second, he's, he says that Titus is to teach the young, the, um, the older women are to, to teach the young ones self-control and discretion. And the word train here carries with it the idea of self-control and prudence and moderation, discretion. And of course, pure here means sexually pure. And then thirdly, we see that they're to teach them to be working at home. Working at home. Now I know, in our culture, that this could be a big red flag. To be an effective homemaker, it has a mindset of being able to manage the home. It's not referring to this stereotype of, of every mom stays at home. It's not saying that mothers can't have a professional life. It's just simply saying, teach the younger women how to manage their homes. To be a home lover. To be a home lover. Hmm. Lastly, he teaches the women or to teach the young women to be submissive to their own husbands. And again here, this submission doesn't care with, with it this connotation of inferiority. Um, it's no demand for obedience involved, but rather a recognition that the husband, the man, is to be the head of the house. The husband is to be the head of the house. When I counsel with couples, whether it's premarital or marital counseling or doing weddings, I always, you know, where this you know, submission comes in, there's always the passage in Ephesians 5.25 that talks about, after telling the women to submit, it says, Husbands, love your wives. As Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. So we men are to love our wives to the point of being willing to die. Sacrificial. I love what John Stott said. He says that this is not a headship of authority in, 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 in sense. It, it is authority, but not being authoritarian. It, it, it's not a dictatorship, but it's responsibility and loving care. One of the reasons that uh, offered by Paul for the young women to comply with the teaching is that, this is verse 5, that the word of God may not be reviled. That the word of God may not be reviled. Marriages that reflect Christ are attractive. Marriages where there is fighting all the time push people away from the gospel. Well, having given instructions to the older men to be dignified and mature and for the older women to be reverent and to not be um, slanderous and drunkards and to teach, and he gives instructions to the young ladies. He then, then turns and gives instruction to the younger men. And he says, likewise, this is in verse 6, likewise, urge the men, younger men, to be self-controlled. Urge the younger men to be self-controlled. 
Isn't it interesting that he only gave one instruction? He gave a lot of instructions for the young women, but only one for the men. You may say, why is that? But it literally means to be self-controlled in every area of your life. Self-mastery. Self-mastery. Control of temper. Control of the tongue. Control of ambition and materialism. Control, control, of course, of sexual urges. The young man is to be committed to that Christian standard of purity before marriage and fidelity after marriage. Some key points I see here as I look at the instructions. Self-control is possible. Young men are not animals. I can't begin to tell you how often I've, I've interacted with some men over these last 20 years. And, and sometimes a light bulb comes on and they say, Pastor Ralph, you're right. I don't have to. So point number one, self-mastery is possible, even though our culture says it's not. Secondly, young men need encouragement. Young men need to be encouraged to walk with God, to live sexually pure lives. And third, older and younger men need to encourage each other. They need to be examples to each other. Well, Paul moves on from, from the younger, uh, younger men, and, he, and he, he talks about just the, the need that they have for that character um, in their lives. But he, he, he turns to Titus. And he says to Titus, show yourself in all respects to be a model of good works. And in your teaching, show integrity and dignity and sound speech that cannot be condemned so that an opponent uh, may be put to shame, having nothing evil to say about us. He turns then to Titus here. He says two things. He says, be a, be a model, be a role model in your character. Be an example. We have all the examples in the Old Testament. They're dead. And those are good examples, but we need live examples and role models. Again, the Christian life isn't lived by ourselves. We need people to give advice to us, to instruct us, to challenge us, to inspire us, and to encourage us to walk with God. So secondly, Titus is uh, instructed to influence the young men and really the whole church, not only by his example, but by his teaching. And in his teaching, three things. To teach with integrity, that carries with the idea of, of, of good motivation. Um, to teach with seriousness, be dignified. And to teach in such a way that the message is solid. Again, we see this motivating force behind the instruction, so that, so that, in verse 8, so that an opponent may not be, may be put to shame, having nothing evil to say about us. We live such godly lives that are attractive to the non-believer. The opinion of the outsider is important. And for Titus, the distortion of the gospel by false teachers made it hard. And in Paul is saying, have godly behavior, have pure motives, 
Have a dignified manner. Teach sound doctrine. Leave no room for any kind of allegations. I'm reminded of Daniel in chapter 6 of the book of Daniel in the Old Testament. If you remember, Darius, King Darius had set up 120 satraps, three presidents, of which Daniel was one. If you remember, he just did so well that he was far above everybody else. They got jealous. They began to look for ways to make him look bad. But it says that because Daniel became distinguished above all the others, because an excellent spirit was within him, and the king planned to set him over all the kingdom, and the other officials looked for a complaint against him, but they could not find fault because he was faithful and no error or fault was found in him. That's what God wants in your life and in my life. So that someone looks for something in our lives to accuse us of that they can't find a fault. They can't find anything. But God desires that we live without fault so that others may see that the gospel is attractive. When the last two verses Paul addresses slaves. Back then, probably 50 million slaves lived within the Roman Empire. Between a third and a half of Rome was enslaved. And it's easy to look at this passage and say, ah, this is a passage, we have no slaves in our church. Okay? <laughs> but the truth is that what looks to be a time-bound and culture-bound instruction at first really applies to anyone who is under authority or someone at work. Just quickly here, instructions for the slaves. The slaves were to have an attitude, one of, of pleasing, seeking to please, being committed to excellence. And so we, as employees, should seek to do things in such a way that we're, we're pleasing our employer. And secondly, to be respectful, not argumentative. As far as conduct, the slaves back then, and today us as employees, should be honest. It says, not pilfering. We should be honest. And secondly, trustworthy, reliable, dependable. And third, again, there's that, that, cause, that clause there um, gives them motivation so that in everything they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior. Three times in this passage, Paul says to Titus, first, with the wives, live in such a way that no one can make a statement against the gospel. With Titus and his ministry, live in such a way that our opponent will be put to shame. And finally, live in such a way that your life is like an adornment of Christ. Well, again, as we close up, we to live in such a way that our words, our actions, our work brings glory to God. I'll remind you one more time, downstairs the men and women ministries will be there just to interact, sign you up, so we can begin to get connected together uh, with, with discipleship. Let's pray.
Now, Father in heaven, we thank you for your word. We thank you, Father, that it's alive, it's active, Lord, it's important in, in, in our lives. Help us, Father, to live in such a way that people are drawn to you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.